you for welcoming welcoming me, uh, if I could speak this morning, welcoming me into your church this morning. It's always sort of a unique thing coming to a new church and seeing what's going on, and then it's a Another unique thing, coming into a church and seeing what's going on and then speaking at the church. So uh, it's always just a little different. Hopefully I don't fall off the stage here. New place, right? Um, appreciate getting to know your pastor a little bit. So Josh, uh, he's been coming uh, to a group of sort of pastors in the area Wednesday morning. So we get together around the word and prayer. And I've just come to uh, appreciate him so much and his, his commitment to the word and, and study. So it's just a... Uh, it's great to be able to come and, and help out here and get to know you all a little bit this morning. Let's go ahead and open up to the book of Jonah. So we're in Jonah chapter 2. As you know, we all, I mean, we all know the story of Jonah pretty well, right? Guy gets called to go to preach to his enemies, doesn't want to do it, runs away, gets eaten by a fish, gets spit out, goes back and says, fine, I'll do it, goes and preaches. The people turn, repent which is a miracle in its own right, and then he's angry about it. He's upset about it. It's such a, such sort of a bizarre story. It sort of ends on such a, a cliffhanger uh, in a different way. So it's, it's certainly an odd book. As we come to chapter 2 this morning, I think this is probably the most overlooked chapter in Jonah. Now, the rest of the jo- Jonah is sort of like an action movie. This happens, this happens, this happens. There's all this movement going on. It's, it's rapid, it's fast-paced, it's moving. And then in, jo- in Jonah chapter 2, we slow down and we get uh, a poem. We get a prayer. It, it slows down into just the, minds of, the mind of Jonah. We're thinking his thoughts line by line, uh, just as he's, we're, we're just, his soul becomes exposed to us for the first time. Uh, and it, it, interestingly, it's sort of a, people have pointed out sort of almost how Jonah 2, the, the, the poem part, almost doesn't fit in the book because it talks about the thankfulness of Jonah and the, how he's cried out for salvation and how, how that salvation has, has been accomplished and how his heart is turned towards God and praying towards God. But where do we, where do we end up at the end of the book? When Jonah's, when it's all over, we come to Jonah chapter 4, the end of it, Jonah's still angry. He's still upset. He's still far from the Lord in his heart in some ways. So Jonah chapter 2 almost becomes a theme of what does it mean to respond to the Lord rightly? How do we respond to God? How should the sailors that prayed just before this in chapter 1, how should they respond to the Lord? How should the Ninevites respond to the Lord? How should Jonah himself respond to the Lord? How should we respond to the Lord? It comes out here in Jonah chapter 2 as we will come to the end of it and we'll see salvation belongs to the Lord. I'm going to sacrifice, make my vows. I will pray to the Lord and turn to him. So this section of the book brings us to a right response to God. And title of the sermon, From the Belly of the Fish, meaning when Jonah's there, he's descended down into distress. He's in trial and difficulty and problem, and he cries out rightfully to the Lord. Well, we see this theme, this pattern being repeated in different ways in our own lives and, and in others, so we'll, we'll consider that this morning. So let's go ahead and read Jonah. We'll read all of chapter 2, but we're going to back up one verse. We're going to back up to verse 17 in chapter 1. So let's read from Jonah 1, 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, 
I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Lord God, open our eyes to your word this morning. May we see beautiful things from your word. May it affect us in our, in our minds as, it, as we think through these things. May it affect us in our, in our hearts as we, we feel rightly towards you and towards one another. May it affect us in our, our wills as we, we do the right things, as we fulfill our vows, as it were. Lord, we know that salvation belongs to you. It is found in no other name than in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we look into the, the Old Testament here, we see that it points even towards, towards our Savior, towards Jesus Christ. May we have our eyes fixed, fixed on Him. We know that salvation is ultimately through Jesus Christ alone, that it is by His blood that we are healed. And so, Lord, we, we know that we have sinned much, that we have sinned both in what we do and in what we don't do. We have failed to do what is right, and we have done what is wrong. So, Lord, forgive us for these things. Draw our hearts to you. We pray that you would give us full forgiveness. You have promised that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us those sins. And, Lord, we pray for the power of the Spirit to walk in newness of life, to walk in truth, that we would flee from what is evil and and what is wrong, and that we would act in ways that bring your kingdom about, that we pray that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, may that happen first within our own lives as we reject the right and cling to what is, reject the wrong and cling to what is right. Lord, you are good. Guide us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul pointed out this morning as we read Psalm 18 that so much of this psalm is already, or so much of Jonah's prayer, Jonah's psalm, I almost called this Jonah's psalm this morning, but so much of Jonah's prayer, Jonah's psalm is reflected throughout the book of the Psalms. So Jonah 18, I've got written down here to quote from, but we've already read it this morning. The the cords of death encompass me, the, the the torrents of destruction, they assail me. We go to all sorts of psalms. Psalm 118 is almost verbatim, the first line here, out of my distress I called to the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free. In verse 3, we have, you cast me into the deep. In verse Psalm 69, I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. From verse 4, it quotes from, or almost quotes from, near quotes from Psalm 31, Psalm 18, Psalm 46, Psalm 77. Over and over and over, we have this, this imagery from the Psalms. 
And, and so many of the Psalms have this, this theme of drowning that aren't written about people who are drowning. Right? So Psalm 18 has got this theme of drowning in it. And David's not drowning, but what's he doing? He's pulling up on the imagery of drowning to describe his life. How many of you in your lives have felt like you're drowning? I mean, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a situation with a child who has an illness and you're in the hospital and you don't know what's going on or, or how to handle this. Or, or maybe it's your own problem, your own hospital visit, your own illness that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and it's chronic and there's no solution for it and it just feels like like wave upon wave is washing over you, is breaking you down, is, is hurting and, and causing calamity and distress. I mean, it doesn't have to be something physical either. It can be emotional stress. Right? Something in the workplace is going wrong. Maybe, you, maybe it's even your fault. You did something wrong and you keep worrying about the boss coming in or what the coworkers are going to say or this, that, the other, and you feel the wave upon wave of, of stress and difficulty. You, you can't get your feet under you. There is, there's anxiety. You can feel it welling up within you, and the way to describe it is to describe it as, as drowning. Have you ever experienced a, maybe a near drowning? Because you haven't experienced drowning if you're sitting here this morning. But have you ever experienced a, a near drowning right, where maybe you're out in the ocean and a wave comes in and it knocks you over and kind of flips you over all underwater, and then you're trying to get up, and you get up to grab a breath, and another wave comes in, and it hits you just as you're going, and it boom, right in the face, and there you are tumbling again, and it's a panicky feeling, right, to, to be in that situation, to, to try to stand up, to try to get your feet back under you, right? How, how often is that, that our lives, right? One thing after another after another. We're... Uh, my wife and I, so they couldn't make it this morning. She's teaching Sunday school over at, at the other church. But uh, my wife and I right now are, are in the process of moving. So we just bought a house, and we ended up having to do a lot of remodels on it, a lot of renovations, things that we weren't planning. We're like, oh, we're going to do these renovations over the span of 10 years. Well, it got squished to like two months because one thing leads to another, and you know how that goes. Well, it's kind of like this. It's like, oh, one thing, and we're so busy right now. And we, we have this phrase in our house that when we move into the new house, we'll do that. My wife said something that's more like, we will never do all these things that we say we're going to do in the new house. Why? Because just one thing after another, after another, after another, it just keeps piling up and piling up and piling up on us as we're in sort of this just incredibly busy season of our lives right now. And so we get this language through the Psalms and in this book of Jonah of, of drowning. And Jonah is going through this, and he's literally in... Spiritually, he's drowning, and physically, he's drowning. And so these, these two realities sort of marry up in Jonah. They come together. And so, I mean, think about what has just happened. Jonah is, back in chapter 1, he's, he's there, he's running away from the Lord, he's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, and he gets in the boat, there's this storm, and he says, throw me into the sea. What, I mean, what is he expecting? He's, expecting? he's not expecting a great fish to come up and, and swallow him. That is not what he's expecting at all. He's like, just throw me. It's, it's, uh, it's almost a death wish, right? Just, just throw me in the sea. You guys will be fine. The sea's here to destroy me anyway. I'm going to go in. I'm going to drown. And so he's got this experience of drowning that's then, uh, that's then wrapped up in his spiritual drowning as well. I mean, think about what's, what's going on here in... In Jonah's life, uh, there's a there's a descent that Paul pointed out last week. I listened online, Paul. That that 
kept going on. There's this descent. He goes, instead of going up to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa, and then he goes down into the, the uh, hold of the ship, and then he's thrown down into the sea, and this fish takes him, and he goes down. And what's, what's being pictured here, if you go back to verse uh, chapter 1, the end of verse 3, he gets up, he pays the fare, he goes down into the ship, he goes, he's going to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He, he's running away from God. He's going away from the presence of the Lord. And that, that line gets repeated again uh, down in verse, I think it's 9. Or he, he tells them, uh, verse 10, the end of verse 10, they say, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He's trying to get as far away from God as he can. And what's the, the other, another psalm of David, right? If I go up into the heavens... You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I go all the way down there, there you are. So I'm trying to get away from the Lord, and yet I can't get away from Him. But what is it? You can't get away from the presence of the Lord, but can you get away from the Lord in another sense? All right. There's a way in which you can run from the Lord, even as, as Jonah is doing here. And he, he gets further and further and further away from the Lord in, in his heart. Right, where where he, he turns from him, he, he leaves behind what is right and what is good, and, and he becomes so wrapped up in, in his own failure, like in his own desires, that he is so far from the Lord. I mean, think about what he has told these people in, in Jonah 1, and, and I don't want to repeat all of what Paul said last week, but... He's there, and the people are in distress. Each one of them is calling out to the Lord their God, or to, not the Lord their God. They're calling out to their own gods, to their false gods, right? which on, on one sense you can commend them for. At least they know that they can't do anything, and they're crying out to some higher power to help them. And Jonah is there just apathetic, right? doesn't care. Doesn't care about the people, doesn't care about the ship, doesn't care about himself. Right? Becomes nihilistic as well. Right? Just throw me into the sea. I mean, what is he? He's sort of committing suicide in some sense. Just, it doesn't matter. Just throw me into the sea. I'm going to die. This is what God has ordained. I just don't care. Jonah is just, he's become just so morally weak and, and wrong, nihilistic, self-centered, turned away from God, turned away from others. There's such a, a heart of, of selfishness here. Just, just throw me in the sea. Spiritually, he's just drowning. He's just drowning. So throw me into the sea, and he's unexpectedly saved in one sense. The ship, come, the ship, the fish comes up and, and swallows him. Uh, I mean, think about that. So we, we know the story of Jonah. Right? Maybe you think of the VeggieTales version or whatever, and it's like, oh, Jonah gets thrown into the sea, fish comes. I mean, think about how terrifying this is if you're Jonah. I mean, what do we think about when fish eating you? We think of like a shark attack or something like this, right? So Jonah gets thrown into the sea. He's in this massive storm. Huge waves are there. He, he's drowning. And out of nowhere, a fish comes. I mean, how terrifying would that be? Uh, it's like, I don't know, it gives you goosebumps to kind of think about just a fish coming up while you're in the middle, midst of drowning and you get swallowed. Uh, so certainly unexpected. Sometimes the Lord gives us, gives wrath, a wrath that, a wrath that is uh, a, mercy, a mercy to us. This is what it takes for Jonah to get woken from his, uh, from his apathy, from his nihilism, from his self-centeredness here. He's got to be taken down to the depths of the sea, which is what, what we see here in this psalm, where he goes down, 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 and yet 
in this, we see the hand of God against him, and he's, he's saved through it. Sometimes the Lord gives us a, a merciful wrath. Sometimes we need things like this to, to wake us up. And so in this psalm, we see that this is... Uh, Jonah is speaking for himself, but he's not just speaking for himself. By using these, anal- the, these terms for drowning and death, he's using other language from the Psalms that talk about our own spiritual condition, our own spiritual life, that we too can be running from the Lord, turn to our own self-centered ways, and we need to call out to the Lord, even as Jonah does here in this Psalm. So our, our big idea is cry out to the Lord. In your distress, cry out to the Lord, for he is our salvation. So cry out to the Lord. So first, let's, let's see this. There's a call here in verses 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He, he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For the first time in this book, Jonah has a right response to God. He calls out to him for the very first time. And he's been indicted on this in a number of ways. In one six, the captain said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Which is ironic because God already told him, Arise. But arise, call out to your God. Arise, call out to your God. Like, what are you doing? Everyone else here is praying to their God, hoping that we can get some kind of salvation. Right? We want good. We want to be blessed by, by the gods you're here sleeping, like call out to your God. What are you doing here? And come to find out he's running from the presence of the Lord. So that's the last thing Jonah wants to do. He's like, no, 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 I don't want to call out to my God. I'd rather you throw me into the ocean than I call out to my God. I mean, that's kind of what happens here, right? I'd rather you throw me in the ocean, kill me, throw me into the sea, than have my, then pray to my God. Because he actually doesn't pray to God in chapter one at all. He doesn't turn and, and cry. He, he's throw me into the sea. First, I, I'm fleeing from the presence of my Lord. But here, Jonah, he turns, and he does call out to the Lord. Uh, ironically, just sort of a, there's so much foreshadowing and ironies and things in this book. Uh, it, it's almost, there's almost times where it becomes so ironic that it's almost humorous, uh, Jonah. I'm kind of wrestling with this. How humorous is Jonah meant to be? Uh, but there's... Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And what do we know about the end of Jonah 2 here? Salvation belongs to the Lord. The, the captain is like, maybe your God will save us. And Jonah's going to say, of course, salvation belongs to the Lord. He's the God of heaven and earth. He made the sea and all that's in it. He is the God of salvation. The captain's speaking better than he knows here. And we get irony after irony after irony. Right? Jonah is... Uh, so happy about the fish, or sorry, about the plant that comes to shade him, and, and angry that the plant dies. And yet God's like, shouldn't I be, shouldn't I save these people? Aren't they more worth more than, than a plant? Right? And you're concerned about this plant, but what about all the animals even in Nineveh and things like this? So there's these ironies that, that come up again and again. Uh, so there's this he finally turns and he calls. Part of this is that merciful wrath where God can get us to a point of despair where we're forced to call out to him. Sometimes tragedy takes place in order to bring us to the Lord. We know he's sovereign, and the sovereignty of God is certainly on display in this psalm again and again and again. Uh, God hurls the, 
storm against them. He appoints a fish to show up. He appoints a plant to come. He appoints a worm to come eat the plant. He's sovereign again and again and again. He commands the fish at the end of chapter 2 to vomit Jonah up. Another one of those sort of almost humorous lines where it's like, oh, gross. And, and that's kind of the word that's meant. Some translation, I was, it's interesting reading different commentaries sometimes. Some of the commentaries are like, these translations that put spit out don't get it. It's actually like a gross word. It's supposed to make you kind of cringe a little bit and go, ew. Uh, and, and so that's, that's kind, of, kind of what's going on here. Uh, we have this, here's what it took for Jonah to lift his eyes to the Lord, to turn back to God. So there's a, a need to call out the Lord because we're insufficient. We act so... We, we lift up sort of competency, self-sufficiency as maybe like the primary virtue in the world today, right? Like the Lone Ranger is sort of like our, our mascot, right? Go out there, do it yourself, solve your problems, uh, be omnicompetent in, in all areas of life, do everything right. Uh, and there's a... We need to recognize the need that we're, we're insufficient. Right? We can't do it all on our own. Not only do we need other people, but we need the Lord. There's a, a vertical sense in which we need God. We cannot do life well on our own. Uh, the, there's a, a downfall when we turn to, to doing things our own way, to doing things how we would want it to be. When we turn, when we turn to self, we try to figure out what's right on our own. We try to make life work according to our own plan and purpose, that, that it fails. We need something bigger than ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves. We need the Lord. We need God. We need these things uh, to be set up, set up for us. When we go on our own, we end up just like Jonah did. We end up nihilistic, cast me into the sea. We end up apathetic. I don't care if the storm hurts you or other people. We, we end up so self-focused. When we turn from God, it, it leads us so far astray. And ironically, Jonah ends up morally just so far beneath the pagans that he's dealing with. That's one of the key ironies of the book is here's Jonah, prophet of God, one who knows the word. Right? He knows all the Psalms, hence he's echoing language from the Psalms. And yet he's morally inferior to these pagans on the ship. The pagans on the ship, they care about human life. They care about others. They don't want people to die. They're not ready to just jump into the sea and commit suicide. And yet that's where Jonah is. Throw me into the sea. I don't care if everybody dies. That's where Jonah's at. He's, he's morally beneath these, these pagans here who don't know God because he's turned from God. So that's where we end up on our own. Brutal, jaded. We need the Lord. He's the only one that's sufficient. And Jonah, I, I, irony again, Jonah knew this. Chapter 1, verse 9, he says to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So calls to the Lord because he's capable, he's able. As we see at the end, salvation belongs to the Lord. We need a, a wisdom beyond ourselves that we put ourselves under, that we submit to. We can... You get kids right, who... Uh, their vision is so narrow, right? Like, uh, and they ask for something. Can I have a snack right now? And it's 11.30, and you know, lunch is coming in half an hour. And you say, no, you can't have a snack right now. Of course not. It's ridiculous. Uh, and what happens? The kid throws a fit. They're whiny. They're, tired, they're mad. They're, they want it now. They don't see why not. And we say, just obey, right? Just listen to me. 
I know why you're not having a snack right now. It's not because I'm cruel. It's not because I'm harsh. It's because nutritionally, you need to eat lunch, not a snack right now. And lunch is coming very, very soon. But they can't see that. And what do you do? You teach your children to obey, and you teach them to obey anyway. Just obey. Just listen. Because I'm watching out for your best interests, and you don't even understand your best interests. Somehow, when we get to adulthood, we often think those rules no longer apply. Right? Like, I don't need to just obey the Word of God. I just, I do what's right in my own eyes. I figure it out. But there's a, there's a wisdom that is beyond ourselves, one that we put ourselves under, one that we submit to. Why do we follow all the Ten Commandments? Why do we follow the rules from Scripture? Why do we do these things? Sometimes it doesn't seem like it makes sense. So why, why do it? Well, because Jesus is King, His way is best. Right? We understand this. Why am I stuck in this difficult marriage? Why not just get a divorce and move on and find something, someone else? Well, God says it's better this way. That, that commitment works itself out. Why not just X, Y, Z? Why not just right, a little lie here would make things a whole lot easier. Right? Just It's a one-time deal, done and gone. Why not just let that work itself out? God says, my way is best. There, there's aspect of wisdom that's beyond ourselves. We don't, and we don't just disobey because we don't understand the why. Right? We, that's Jonah's situation, right? Go to Nineveh, Jonah. Like, no way. I don't see how this works out. No way. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to go elsewhere. It's like, no, no, no. Obey, even though you don't understand why. Even though you don't understand why. So when you realize that you're in a place that's far from God, that you have disobeyed, that you have turned astray, it doesn't mean there's no help, right? It doesn't mean that it's shot, that things are completely done. Just because you've disobeyed the Lord, just because you've gone your own way, you followed your own wisdom, you haven't done the right thing all the time, well, congratulations, you're a member of the human race, right? And look at Jonah here. I am intentionally fleeing from the Lord, intentionally going my own way, intentionally leaving what is best behind me and pursuing after what is worse, And now I find myself in distress, going down and down and down. And what can you still do? You can still cry out to the Lord. And from the belly of Sheol, he'll still answer. So he calls out distress. So Jonah's distress brings us to verses 3 through the first half of verse 6. Jonah calls from distress. We started off sort of talking about drowning and and the distress that we see. Uh, But we, we see so much distress in these verses he already said in verse 2, he's crying from the belly of Sheol. Sheol, that, that place of the dead, that place where no one cries out to God, no one gets to worship, no one gets to be in his presence. And yet God has heard his voice. He wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Well, the language of 3 through 6 is as far away as you can get. It's all sort of hellish language. Like, okay, you want to be away from God? Here you go, Jonah. You're going to go as far away as you can. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, down into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me, the waves and billows, all your waves and billows, they passed over me. The waves are up there. I'm sinking down, sinking down. I'm driven away from your sight. That's what you wanted, Jonah, away from the presence of the Lord. I'm away away from your sight. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. I was down at the roots of the mountains. It reminds you of Psalm 46, right? The mountains being removed to the heart of the seas. 
Yalachasodayim, down at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's another reference to Sheol. Sheol is sometimes called the land with bars. So the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You brought my life up from the pit. He's down in the pit. Here he is, as far away as he can get. He is in deep, dark distress. One of the interesting elements here is Jonah recognizes God's sovereignty through this. Like, you cast me into the deep? Well, cast him into the deep. Well, on one hand, the sailors did, right? Jonah's like, throw me in. Like, okay, they throw him in. On the other hand, what cast him into the deep? It's his own rebellion, right? His own running away from God. Because he runs away from God, he gets thrown into the, into the ocean. If he was in Nineveh, he wouldn't be near the sea to begin with. This is Jonah's idea. You guys should throw me into the sea. So Jonah sees this, but he also recognizes God's sovereign hand, that God's action as well. God is the one who hurled the storm. He's the one who sent the fish. He's the one who sent this wrath so that Jonah could be saved. And the fish is both, on one hand, it's salvation for him. There's the miracle of the fish, of him being kept alive in it. On the other hand, this wasn't a comfortable miracle. It wasn't like you were blind and now you can see. This was like three days of, of misery, Right? of being here sustained, however God does it, however, whatever way God sustains Jonah. He gets sustained here through uh, just being in the belly of another being. seems uh, uncomfortable at best. Uh, and Jonah here recognizes this. He recognizes where he's at. He even recognizes it for his own, his own fault. He's the one that, that got himself into this situation he recognizes the control and hand of God in it. There's a right sense of, of lament here. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which we might be in a circumstance that feels like Jonah's being in the belly of the whale. Right? That feels gross and miserable and uh, not comfortable, a place of, of difficulty and distress. That's the result of living in a world where there's lots of sin and living in a world in which we sin. You might have terrible, uh, terrible uh, consequences for, for your own actions. Right? There may be things that come about right, because of your own actions that result in the harm of another, that result in prison, that result in firing from a job, that result in whatever, and it's your own fault. Jonah's in the belly of the fish, and it's his own fault. He got himself here. But he also understands God's in control of this. God brings this about, and there's a, I can still lament over this. I can still cry out to the Lord. I said, verse 4, I'm driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That could also be translated as a question, as it is in some translations. Will I again look on your holy temple? This note of, of sorrow, of despair, but yet keeping that call in mind, yet turning back to the Lord, depending on Him. Which in the second half of verse 6 brings us to Jonah sees the salvation of God here. Verse 6, So I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your temple. It goes back to verse 4. Will I look upon your temple? Well, here my prayer came into your temple. 
Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So even here, in the very depths, as Jonah's got as far away from the presence of God as he can get, there's still a hope of salvation. This brings us back to the call. Where do we go in distress? Where do we go when life is difficult? Where do we go when illness overtakes us, when our own sin overtakes us, when consequences are there, when we've been terrible to our spouses and they're, they've left and they're gone and it's our own fault for it? When we've done whatever it happens to be, when the consequences of sin are overwhelming to us, what do we do? We go back to the Lord, we call out to Him, we cry to Him, and, we, and Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That temple language is ironic because what's at the temple? It's the presence of God. It's where God is at. So Jonah has gotten as far away as he can get from the presence of the Lord, and now he's instantly back in the presence of God. My prayer comes to you, comes into your holy temple. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The real tragedy is to continue down the path of destruction, to fail to reach out to the Lord, to fail to call to Him. Because salvation does belong to the Lord. That, ironically, the one who's been crying out to vain idols this whole time isn't the pagans, but it's been Jonah. And his idol isn't a Baal or an Asherah or Marduk or some other false god. The, the idol has been within his own heart. He, he's got a view of the Lord that he doesn't want to follow. Right? He, he doesn't want the Lord. So he, he follows his own way, his own path, his own desires. And every time Jonah comes into contact with pagans, they turn and they worship the Lord. He comes into contact with sailors, and the sailors hear from him, and they worship God. He comes into contact with Ninevites, and they turn and they repent and they worship God. The, in many ways, verse 8 and 9 here are the theme of the book. What do you do when destruction, when death, when trial, when hardship comes? You turn to the Lord. You don't continue on in destructive ways. You don't continue on facing or turning towards idols. If you do that, you forsake your, your hope of steadfast love. You forsake the salvation that comes from the Lord. There's a so many idols that we can turn to in our own hearts, whether it's, I think I'm right, I think my way is best, uh, whether it's the idol of financial success, whether it's the idol of marital bliss, whether it's the idol of just joy and pleasure, sort of the hedonistic lifestyle, whether it's the, the idol of the great outdoors and we just want to be out there and have fun and enjoy life. And there's so many idols that we can turn to that's devoid of, of the Lord. And when we do that, when we fixate on those things, when we set our hopes there, our hope of steadfast love is forsaken. What is, what is steadfast love? That hesed is that Hebrew word. It's the covenant-keeping love of the Lord, covenant-keeping love of God, where he sets his love on us, he fixes his love on his people, and he says, I will keep you. I will never forsake you. You'll be mine. What does it mean to, to love to do good for someone, to do good for someone even at your own expense. What is the good that God has done for us? He sent his own son. 
while we are still sinners. God is love. He has done the ultimate good for us. What would be the hardest thing to give up? I mean, on one hand, there's your life. That's hard enough to give up. But on the other hand, there's children. I had to give up a child. And the Father has given up His Son for us. I mean, it's no, no wonder that John 3.16 is the, the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God's love of the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave up His Son for, for us. So to, to turn away from that, to spurn that, to, to, to turn away from the Son, that certainly is going to be to give up your hope of steadfast love. That love is found through Jesus Christ. That hope, that salvation, that joy is found in Him alone. So if you pay regard to vain idols, worthless, empty things, things that will not help you, you forsake your hope of steadfast love. But the right response, which even reflects the sailor's language in chapter 1 and the Ninevite's language in chapter 4 or chapter 3, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. The voice of thanksgiving. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in Him. I'm going to turn to Him, right? Offer sacrifices, that meaning I'm going, to, I'm going to turn towards Him. The sacrifice is done in faith. It's not simply a, a, an empty ritual, right? It's not like taking communion or something like that. An empty ritual does nothing. It is empty, how many times does Israel again and again and again get condemned for, for ritual? Right? You come, you worship, you offer bulls and goes, I don't want this. I don't want you to trample my courts, God says in Isaiah. Right? What, what is the true sacrifice? What is the right sacrifice? It's to come before me with a contrite heart, willing to fall before me and listen and obey. So what I have, I will, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So we get this psalm. Then Jonah turns, he prays to the Lord, and the Lord answers, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. So here we have this miracle, and Jonah comes out, and he's still a mess, and things are still in a pretty uh, uncomfortable state, and he still has to go to Nineveh. Chapter 3 starts, the book almost starts over again, 1-1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, 3-1, 3-1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and it says the, God says the exact same thing. So he still calls him to difficulty, he still calls him to obedience. But we see here in Jonah chapter 2, the right heart response. When we go to look at chapter 3 and the Ninevites response, we see the right heart response again. But the sad irony of the book is that in chapter 4, Jonah has the wrong heart response again. Chapter 4 puts Jonah right back into chapter 1 of Jonah. God, I knew this was going to happen. Chapter 2, 9, he praises God because salvation belongs to the Lord. In chapter 4, 2, he finds fault with God because I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. It's the exact situation he was in before, and take my life. I want to die. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So Jonah needed Psalm 2, or Jonah 2, all over again. 
That's what we need often in our lives, again and again and again, isn't it? We need to come back to the Lord. We need to brought to an end to ourselves and come back to the Lord. I think Jonah wrote this book, which means I think Jonah came back to Psalm 2 again and had it there and understood and, and left us with chapter 4 so that we could see just how, how wrong that was, how, how, how evil it was for him to be turned from the Lord like that. So I think chapter 2 really is sort of the, the highlight of the book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We should turn to Him. We may be in deep distress. It may be our own fault, but call out to the Lord because salvation belongs to Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that salvation does belong to You. We thank You that we are able to call out, that You have paid the penalty for our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have salvation in His name and through His name alone. Lord God, help us to cry out to you, to turn from vain idols, to turn from ourselves and and rely on you alone. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.